Welcome to Study, Grow, Know, where we discuss theology, prophecy, and current political issues from a conservative biblical perspective. Here's your host, Dr. Fred DeRuvo. You know, dogs are extremely proficient at understanding calming signals between each other, which is very honest and very truthful. It's how dogs live and how they avoid problems whenever they can. The majority of dogs don't want to fight. They don't want to argue. If only people were as good as seeing and understanding signals from other people, right? If only. We just aren't. And the reason we aren't is due to our own duplicity, sadly enough, which stems from our resident sin nature. I mean, we're all duplicitous to a degree, some more than others. Dogs, on the other hand, live by instinct, and their calming signals are an honest guide for how they live, not only with other dogs, but with people. Unfortunately, People often send out mixed signals to other people, which is why there are arguments, there are disagreements, and people hold grudges so often. And this extends, unfortunately, to Christians and fellowship. We have a tendency to do or say one thing while thinking another. In other words, the motivation is not as honest as what we're actually doing or saying. It doesn't match up. Now, I'm sure dogs can't do that. I don't think they can, and they are honest. My two dogs cannot be angry with me while pretending to love me. It is impossible. What they are on the inside is what I see on the outside. Their consistency is obvious. I've included a picture in the transcript, which has a picture of my two dogs with the uh, question, can you guess what these two dogs are saying? Each dog in that picture is communicating with me. They're communicating. Can you tell? So believe it or not, all of this has helped me to understand why God has never put me into the pastorate. Now, remember from before when I said, I thought I sensed a call into the ministry over the years and never understood why God has not chosen to put me into the pastorate. Well, over the months since that question, and since I mentioned it here, I've come to realize in all honesty that it has to do with several things. And this honest appraisal of myself has helped me quite a bit. And I think the question is behind me now forever, unless God changes uh, something so that all of a sudden, hey, there's the pastor, go on in. But I don't think that's going to happen, but I don't know. I'm not banking on it happening. I'm not wanting it to happen. We'll see what happens. But for me, the question is answered. First, while I do enjoy people, I need a break from them. And the sole reason I need breaks is because of my type A personality, not people themselves. It becomes work for me to be around people for long periods of time unless I know them well and share a certain camaraderie with them. Now, even with that, being in crowds of people is taxing. So I'm better with just a few at a time. I'm just being as honest as I can be with you. It's sometimes awkward for me in situations where I meet someone for the first time. To make it easier on myself, I've learned to simply focus on them. I ask them questions about what they do, where they live, how long have they lived there, etc., etc. I really don't want to talk about me. I think it's kind of boring. And by talking about them, it gives me an opportunity to repeat their name back in conversation three or four times until the name sticks in my head. You know, I hate going back to someone later and saying, oh, man, I'm sorry, what was your name again? 
Now, another reason, and actually I think the bigger reason I need to take breaks from people and why I'm probably not fit for the ministry is because, and when I say ministry, I mean pastorate, it's because it is taxing on my emotional stamina due to a recurrent Epstein-Barr virus, EBV. Now, I contracted it years ago, apparently, and it's never gone away. This is something most people who are alive have. Now, according to the medical community, it will never go away. It'll go to sleep for a while, but will always come back at some point. There is no medical cure. There are only things I can do to help my virus go back to sleep and relieve me of symptoms. Now, when my Epstein-Barr virus is awake... Well, it creates a multitude of problems for me. I find myself in the middle of the day being so fatigued and brain fogged that I can hardly keep myself awake. I've written articles, or at least tried to, during those times that I'm glad I never published because they made little sense. They were just, like, stupid. Well, if I'm home when fatigue hits, I'll nap on the couch, which does help. But because of that fatigue, irritability tends to come to the surface. And if not for the energy from the irritability, I'd have no energy at all. But that's not fair to export or take out on others, you know, like my long-suffering wife. Thank God for her. My body also becomes inflamed, meaning my muscles and certain joints hurt. And even standing up can make me dizzy. And my systolic blood pressure rises. Weak places in my body, like my left shoulder, which has a slight tear, and the heel spur on my left foot also becomes severely painful, so that I walk with a limp and the left side of my neck becomes very inflamed due to pain radiating up from my shoulder. Now, as if that's not enough, I find myself becoming extremely negative with my thinking, and I tend to think, oh, forget people, forget them all. Well, the only thing I can do at that point, really, uh, is to repeat scripture to myself and throw myself at his mercy to help me get through it. Now, I say none of this to draw pity. If you want to pray for me, that's fine. I'm not asking you to do that, though. But if you want to, then I would actually ask that if you pray, that you would ask that I would be more aware of symptoms when they start, instead of waiting days or even a few weeks before it finally dawns on me. You'd think I'd know this by now because I've had this for a while. Catching it sooner than later is the key. So going through periods of great stress in my life so that it weakens my immune system allows my resident uh, EVB to EBV, excuse me, to rise from sleep and exhibit the symptoms I've just noted. So that happens when I've had periods of stress in my life. Fortunately, the Lord led me to a specialist a number of years ago who helped get me back on track concerning my virus. I now know what I'm supposed to do when my symptoms start to become clear. Stupidly, though, I will forget and become so fatigued only to realize, oh, wow, hey, later on, it's like, oh, my my virus is back. Ah. Well, once on medication, I see improvement in a day or so. Just this past week, it hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, I did not realize what was the problem until my wife pointed it out. Well, maybe you need to go back on your antiviral medication. Duh. So I did. And it's helped already. This is the third day. 
Now, imagine me being a pastor trying to perform pastoral duties while I'm dealing with extreme fatigue, brain fog, irritability, lack of energy, bodily inflammation, and all the rest. Can you imagine me being a pastor with the amount of stress that pastors often experience? Imagine the signals I may end up sending to people while I'm dealing with all those symptoms. It wouldn't be good, nor would it be fair to anyone. So that may be, and I think it is, the main reason why I'm not a pastor of a church. And you know what? After all these years, I'm actually okay with that. Through all of this, though, the most important thing I've realized is that God loves us immensely, something I cannot really accurately measure. God loves me. He loves you. You've heard it. I've heard it. You drive down the street, you pass a church, there it is on the sign. People have heard it so much today that it doesn't even make a dent in their thinking. But I've come to a point in my life where the most important part of living for Jesus is to literally love as he loved in how I live, what I do as well as what I say. Now, I'm certain I don't do that as well as he would have me do it. And I know that's true because of my own physical limitations and issues when EBV strikes its ugly head up again. Now, to be clear, I am not talking about setting doctrine aside and just hugging each other, singing kumbaya so that everyone feels good about everything. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not saying that or advocating that. There are too many groups doing that today. And I believe it's wrong because they're not being true to who God is, but they're promoting syncretism. I'm talking about dealing with people as gently and as graciously as possible if it appears they're holding on to some form of doctrine that does not square with Scripture. And that's very difficult, isn't it? Because we know that we are right, quote unquote. Therefore, we feel the need to share it. So people debate all kinds of things. The Sabbath. Which, which day is the Sabbath for Christians? Is it Saturday or Sunday? Well, how do we know? Well, if it's Sunday, hmm. But if it's Saturday, oh, but wait a minute. The Sabbath said, we're not supposed to do anything. So do you do anything on the Sabbath? No work, right? So they'll, they'll debate that. They'll debate Arminianism versus Calvinism, the sign gifts, aspects of eschatology, on and on it goes. Is it because we want people to be right? Or is it because we want them to see that we are right? Now, again, I, I'm not talking about the fundamentals of the faith, like salvation, deity of Jesus, etc. But even there, can we ever express too much grace, humility, and love, even as we share our opinion? Well, if we can't, then maybe we need to stop talking for a while. Maybe we need to stop trying to convince people for a while. God is God and very capable of taking care of himself. And we are his messengers, yes. But if we can't spread the message with grace, humility, and love, then maybe we need to stop spreading the message for a while. We have a very good friend we've known for over 30 years. He's not a Christian. We've talked to him about it. We pray for him regularly. And at one point while sharing, apparently our message was getting too close. And in frustration, he just said, I'm fine. Well, we continue to be his friend. We continue to pray for him, and we continue to let him know that we are his friend and that we pray for him. 
We remain friends. And he with us. He didn't have to. He could have bowed out of the relationship a long time ago, but hasn't for some reason. Now, I've seen churches split over the most asinine things, and you may have as well. I understand that in this day and age, we are experiencing a tremendous upsurge in deception leading to heresy that makes many really wary. So we need to know what we believe, and we need to be ready to give a reason for the hope we have in Christ, right? We all know that. But sometimes we can make things worse if we are not careful. And I do not want to be the type of person that drives a wedge. I don't want to be. And I know what Jesus says about, you know, pitting one person against the other, and that's what's going to happen. I get it because of people's disagreement of over who Christ is. But that said, it does not mean that we are in a battle with those people. We are in a battle with the principalities and powers, not against flesh and blood. My 91-year-old mother-in-law is a Christian, yet she grew up in and remains part of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, some Christians will call her a heretic. And let's face it, within Roman Catholicism, there's a lot of heresies. They include in their Bible the Apocrypha and other things, and it's just really strange. Um, it's, It's heretical. Some Christians will call her a heretic, but the reason she stays in the church, the Roman Catholic Church, is due to her friends who are also Roman Catholics who have not seen the light yet. She is a witness to them of God's actual love and grace. For instance, she tried so hard to witness to her sister as her sister lay on her deathbed, insisting that the sacraments were all she needed along with the last rites from a priest. She didn't need Jesus personally. She needed sacraments. My my mother-in-law was just heartbroken. Wouldn't it be nice if people were always as honest as dogs, meaning what you see is actually what's inside them? I'm talking about how we behave, how we live, how we think. Dogs are honest, as I noted at the beginning of this. God is honest. His creation is honest in spite of being cursed. Human beings tend not to be, even after we become believers. All things are new. We're new creations. But we still have a tendency to be disingenuous because of our sin nature. You know, we see a great example of God's love in Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve entertained the idea of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then Eve went for it at the lie of Satan, and she also gave to her husband Adam to eat of it, who was there with her. Both sinned, and the result, of course, was a broken relationship with God. Those two people were so used to walking and talking with God in the cool of the garden without fear or condemnation. It was a joy. I I can't imagine what that was really like. It was true, unfettered, honest fellowship, the likes of which no one on earth has ever really enjoyed except Jesus. Moses came very close, but his sin nature still got in the way. Now, what I find interesting is that after Adam and Eve sinned, God continued doing what he had done previously because he had not changed. He came into the garden to walk and talk with the first two human beings. When they were not there, expectantly waiting for God as usual, he called out to them, where are you? Genesis 3, 9. Now, of course, God did this. Where are you? Not because he had to uh, try to find them, not because he had no clue where they were, but because he wanted to show them 
he still loved them, that they should absolutely still come to him. Had God not called after them, they would have remained forever hidden from God's physical presence because they were unwilling to come to him. Unless he bid them come, they wanted to hide. How tragic that would have been for the entire world. So God loved Adam and Eve that much, even though they were now deathly afraid of their creator. How sad is that? Sin creates fear in us of judgment, but God still reaches out to us in love, showing us that receiving his love and salvation can change us into what he originally created us to be. Isn't that something? Are we doing that with others? Have we embraced God's absolute love for ourselves as well? This is what God did in the Garden of Eden by calling out to Adam, drawing him and his wife out of the shadows, forced there by their own sinful failure to believe and obey God out of love, not duty. God chose to provide a solution to their sin problem. So what God did in the Garden is really the establishment of the gospel and shows us the love and grace God has for his creation. All of it, including, of course, people, especially people. We see the kernel of the gospel presented when God speaks of the woman's seed bruising the serpent's head in a fatal wound, verse 15. This clearly shadows Jesus as Savior. So to approach God, we must be honest He sees our dishonesty anyway through our lies and our excuses, just like Adam and Eve. The serpent is the only one who did not offer an excuse and, in fact, never replied to God. And note, please, that God never asked the serpent a question. Both Adam and Eve had excuses for their sinful behavior, yet God's love was abundantly apparent. He gave them eternal hope that day in the garden, that they would be extricated from their circumstances and it would come through a Savior eventually. Being a Christian, folks, starts and ends with honesty. In fact, honesty is the thing that allows us to realize our need for a Savior. It's the thing that causes us to grow in Christ, and it is the thing that ultimately brings Him glory. Without honesty, we would never come to him in repentance because we would never see our need for him. This is the problem with most people today. They're not honest. Without honesty, we will never grow in Christ because we will never see the areas where we need to grow. Without honesty, we cannot please God. An honest appraisal of ourselves is not a once and done deal. It is needed every step of the way until we see him face to face. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. And until we meet again, I sure pray that God will open your eyes to show you how blessed you are in him. You've been listening to Study, Grow, Know with Dr. Fred DeRuvo. Please join us each week for new broadcasts that deal with theology, prophecy, and political issues from a biblical, conservative perspective. 